0: you guys. Yeah. Let's give these guys a hand tonight. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you all for singing out to the Lord tonight. It's so great to know a God that not only saves us, but man, he saves us completely. He he saves us absolutely completely. And and God doesn't do anything halfway. And I'm just so thankful that we know God and that we're here tonight to look into His Word and be refreshed. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're in the book of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to begin tonight in verse 23. But before we do of chapter 1, chapter 1 verse 23, I have subtitled this study of 2 Corinthians, Second Wind. For I believe in this letter of Paul to the Corinthians that God is weaving through the thoughts and words of Paul to this local church a renewed energy so that they can continue the effort. And that's really what God wants to do in our lives. That's why any time you and I are becoming discouraged, and we saw the very first week of our study, the word discouraged just simply means a lack of renewal. That God wants to renew our spirit every day. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, though the outward man is perishing, though our human body is wearing away over time, yet the inner man, the real us, the spirit of us, can be renewed daily. And God wants to do that daily renewal or else we will tend to go towards discouragement and despair. And so with that thought as a backdrop, that's why Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians. They were becoming discouraged. So the first couple of weeks we've looked at this letter, we have seen that one of the things that Paul wrote to them to give them a second wind was that God has a purpose in our suffering. And hopefully by getting a little bit of understanding and perspective on suffering... We can have a renewed energy to continue, even sometimes through the hard times of life, through the pain of life, through the suffering of life. Then Paul directed our attention to the character of God and the promises of God and basically says to us, what could give us greater second wind than when you and I are focused on who God is, on thinking of Him correctly having a right concept of God, and then dwelling upon His promises and claiming His promises for us every day. And then we also saw last week that another thing that gives us renewed energy in our lives is the right kind of people close to us. That there are obviously people that, that we can allow to influence us who can sap us of our strength. They can sap, of, sap us of our spiritual energy and vitality. But just the opposite is also true. That, that God wants to surround us with the right kind of people who are going after God uh, in a sense that with the same passion, with the same energy and enthusiasm that we are. And those folks can be fueled for our faith. They can be fuel for our lives. They can encourage us and refresh us along the way. So those are just some of the things that we've already seen in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now when we get to verse 23, here's what we're going to discover tonight, is that we also get a second wind in our lives when we do the right thing, even though the right thing may be the hard thing you and i probably now as i said that are starting to think in our minds about times in our life where we did the right thing but it wasn't necessarily the easy thing but in that there, there was a there was a renewal there was a refreshment there, there was almost a Uh, An energizing, if you will, because even though it might have been tough, it might have been hard, it might not have been easy, it was the right thing to do. And, And the favor of God and the blessing of God was upon us because we were doing what was right. That's what Paul's going to communicate by his own story to the Corinthians. Because again, one of the things that, that, that makes the Bible so cool is it, it just lays everything out there. The good and the bad and the ugly, if you will. And, and one of the things that we know about life and even about second wind and renewed energy is relationships. And, and sometimes even the best of our human relationships are so good and everything seems to be going smoothly. And yet there's other times where even the best of our human relationships boy, there's, there's some struggle there. And, and even the best of friends have, you know, sometimes some disagreements and, and some times where things are a little rocky and whatever. That, that's just the way it is because all of us as human beings, you know, we're imperfect. We're, we're still sinners in, in some, you know, core way. We're still sometimes just looking out after ourselves. And so relationships, family, friends, whatever, it, it can be difficult. It can be sticky at times. And Paul's basically laying himself bare to the Corinthians and to us, to anyone who would, who would willingly open up the letter of 2 Corinthians. And he's, in a sense, being very vulnerable and just opening up his heart and say, here's what was happening. To set up what Paul's going to begin to say in verse 23, again, remember, 2 Corinthians isn't the exhaustive picture of what has happened here between Paul and the Corinthians. I believe Paul wrote several letters to the Corinthians. Two of them are in the Bible. A couple of them did not make it into the Bible for good reason. They weren't inspired by God. They shouldn't have been in the Bible. But 1 Corinthians, if you you want to get a background, a little bit of what Paul is dealing with here in 2 Corinthians, go sometime and just read through 1 Corinthians. It gives you a little bit of background about what was happening here. And basically what was happening is that there were problems in the church at Corinth. And Paul, feeling responsible, because that was a church that he helped found and get started and whatever, he needed to deal with some things. And he felt like he needed to say some things and correct some some of the things that was going on for the church's own good. And, and some people in the church didn't take it very well. And they began to criticize Paul. And then when Paul shared with them his intention on coming to Corinth, and then he doesn't come to Corinth, as we saw last week, then they began to even you know malign him and and misunderstand him and question his motives and we've all been there we've all had people in our lives misunderstand our intentions you know uh question our motives about things and 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 paul was just landing on the fact that he could lay his head on the pillow at night he had done what was right even if it wasn't understood at the time that he was simply following the leading of the lord and that's what he begins to tell them notice in verse 23 he says, Now I appeal, I appeal to you as God, to God as my witness, that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. He, he's showing here some sensitive consideration instead of, like many relationships end up being, manipulating or either being indifferent. Paul's saying, The reason I can't, didn't come to Corinth is not because I was indifferent and I didn't care. It's not because I was trying to use the weight of who I was to somehow push my agenda through and and manipulate you. And we all know relationships can tend to sometimes run that, that path where we do what we do out of guilt. And Paul says, I don't want it to be that way. But the reason I chose not to come was like a surgeon who cuts no more than they need to. I had already said what I needed to say. And now I needed to let it settle for a while and let God work in your hearts and work it out yourself. I needed to give you time to work it out on your own. Paul goes on in verse 24 to say, I do not mean that we rule over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy. Because by faith you stand firm. And Paul's simply saying in verse 24, I'm not seeking to play God in your life. I'm not trying to play holy spirit. I I don't want to rule over your faith. If you choose to do what's right, hopefully it will be motivated in the proper way that as you have allowed God to lead you, as you have prayed about this in Corinth, you're going to end up at the same place I am encouraging you to end up. But it's not be it's not going to be because I twisted your arm. It's not going to be because I manipulated you or made you feel guilty. It's not going to be because I landed in Corinth and I am the Apostle Paul and somehow just my presence is going to put some kind of pressure and weight on the situation to where you'll do what you think I want you to do rather than what you really should do type of thing. This is what Paul is saying. So he's obviously being very transparent here. He's sharing with us the struggles that he and the Corinthians are walking through. And again, one of the things we learn is that in order to have a second wind, at the end of the day, Paul had to be able to lay his head on the pillow at night and know that what he had done was right. What he had done was what God wanted him to do. Even if the whole church in Corinth thought he was wrong, that's what what we need to do. I mean, ultimately, again, it's great to have people who can can confirm what God's leading is in our life, and, and it's great to have Christians that we can ask their advice and whatever, but the bottom line at the end of the day is, but what's God leading me to do? And Paul was okay with that. He was okay with how he had handled it up to this point and what he had said to them. In fact, at the, at the end of verse 24, uh, notice he, he tells them, look, by faith you stand firm. It is your own personal convictions about God which will stabilize you and lead you in the right path. Paul doesn't want the Corinthians to live off of his convictions. He wants them to develop their own convictions and live by them because, again, we know that that's really the only thing where we really have stability and where we're going to have a second win. Again, if, if I'm living off of somebody else's convictions, if I'm living off of what somebody else thinks I should do, that's not going to last very long. I'm going to run out of steam real quick. But if they're my convictions, if this is what I believe at the very core of my soul, then it's going to carry me a lot further than trying to live based upon what somebody else I think wants me to do, or I, I try to live my life based upon making everybody happy around me and trying to please everybody. The Bible says that that just doesn't work. That, that's not going to provide unending fuel for the journey of life. But something that will is when I develop a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and I get into His Word and I walk with God and I begin to develop my own personal convictions about God and about the ways of God and the will of God and the Word of God that can carry me through even the most difficult times of life. And that's what Paul is saying here. In fact, Paul says that to the Romans when he says, each of us should be fully convinced in our own mind when we make choices and decisions. Again, it's great to get advice. It's great to get counsel. It's great to see what other Christians are doing and saying. But at the end of the day, I stand and you stand before God based upon our own personal convictions. About these things, and God is always encouraging us to develop our own convictions. In fact, a little bit of a side here it's one of the reasons why, throughout a lot of church history, there was a disconnect between young people growing up in church and, in a sense, coming to church because they were made to come to church by their parents, and then getting to an age where they didn't have to come to church anymore, and so. In those college years, there was always a gap. And some of them would come back later on as adults, but there was always that mass exodus, if you will, when they got to a certain age. And and one of the reasons why that takes place is because as a church and as parents and whatever, we don't encourage our young people enough to develop their own convictions about God and about His Word and about faith and all of that, rather than them trying to live off the fumes of our convictions. That's only going to carry them so far. If it's something that they believe, then they're going to hang in there with it and they're not going to leave and they're going to stick with it because it's what they believe, not what somebody else is telling them they should believe. And we're all like that. And that's what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. So notice then, at the end of verse 24, he says, so I made up my, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 1. So I made up my own mind not to pay you another painful visit. In Paul's mind, after separating it all out and laying it all out and praying about it and seeking God and all of that, Paul felt that the best thing to do was he had said what needed to be said, he had to just let it marinate with the Corinthians and let God work on their hearts and give God time to work on their hearts and just sit back and see what happens rather than continue to try to force the issue. Again, we can learn a lot about how to deal with people, how to deal with our relationships and the struggles with our relationships out of the Bible. It's very practical. And this is what I share with people all the time, and this is what I try to practice in my own life, is doing exactly what Paul is doing here. Because he goes on basically to say in verse 2, if, if, if I make you sad, who would be left to make me glad but the one I caused to be sad? And I wrote this very thing to you so that when I came, I would not have sadness from those who ought to make me rejoice since I am confident in you all that my joy would be yours. Paul's simply saying it does no good for for us to keep experiencing this pain with one another that we've got to get to a better place where we can work some of these things out so that when we come together to each other, we can cause each other to thrive and we can be encouraged and we can move forward in our relationship with God rather than continuing to sort of spiral downward. In fact, if anybody doubts how Paul really felt about the Corinthians, notice again, he's very transparent. He lays it all out in verse 4 of chapter 2. He says, Out of great distress and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not to make you sad, that wasn't my goal, but to let you know the love that I have especially for you. See, Paul's basically saying, when I wrote that letter to you, it was stained with my tears. That that That's what anguish I was going through. I I didn't like what I was doing, but I felt it was the right thing to do. It wasn't the easy thing to do, but it was the right thing to do. In fact, if I can find it really quick. Go back just for a moment to First Corinthians chapter four and look at verse fourteen. This is just sort of the same thing that Paul is saying to them when he begins to talk to them about the difficult things he needs to in the church back in 1 Corinthians, that he's referring to over in 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 4.14, he says, I am not writing these things to shame you, but to correct you as my dear children. See? So Paul, even back in that first letter to the Corinthians, says, What I'm telling you, I'm telling you only because I love you and because there needs to be some correction here. not trying to shame you. It's just like in our lives, sometimes... Folks either have to have a difficult conversation with us or we have to have a difficult conversation with them for their own good or for our own good. And that's exactly what Paul was saying here to the Corinthians. Now, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. Let me set up this next sort of phase, if you will. Again, because 2 Corinthians doesn't go all into the background, you sort of have to read between the lines of 2 Corinthians or read 1 Corinthians to get the whole picture but here's what precipitated all of this as we saw at the very first week we began to study second corinthians corinth was a city of, that was filled with immorality filled with sin uh, in fact the name corinth means satiated excess without restraint that's the way people lived their lives in corinth it was whatever they wanted to do whatever they felt like doing that, that's it and, and that attitude, if you will, crept into the church. And the church was filled with sin. And nobody was doing anything about it. Nobody, nobody was speaking out about it. No one was calling anyone to holiness. No one was holding anybody accountable. And Paul, like any of us, if you know the Bible, you know the heart of God, realizes there's nothing that can sap our strength greater than sin. That if we truly want a second wind and we want renewed energy in our lives, we've got to begin to become obedient rather than disobedient. If we're disobedient Christians, we're going to begin to just have that lack of energy. You know, we're not going to be out there serving and and faithful and diving into the Bible and praying and all of that. Our energy is going to be gone because the sin that we are involved with that's got a hold on us is going to ring out and sap us of any energy. So Paul's saying, guys... In order for the church to be a witness, in order for the church in Corinth to have power, in order for the church at Corinth to impact that culture in Corinth, the church has to wake up and deal with the sin that's inside the church instead of pretending like it's not there. And again, if you read 1 Corinthians, just one of the examples Paul gave was there was this leader within the church at Corinth who was flaunting his sexual immorality by having an affair, an incestual relationship with his mother. Or with his mother and... No, wait, let me get this right. What was it again? I have to read it again. Anyway. Father's wife. Father's wife thank you. First Corinthians 5. And, and nobody was holding him accountable. Nobody was saying anything about it. In a sense, it was being flaunted. And Paul's like, folks, this is not the way it should be in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has called us to holiness. And we need to Speak about holiness. And we need to speak about these things. And Paul said it's not good. So that's the background of what Paul begins to talk about then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. Because here's what happened. At first they did nothing about the sin, if you will. Then like many of us as human beings, they overreacted. You know, and, and, and they go from doing nothing... Now to being way too harsh, and way too judgmental, and way too unforgiving, and way too on the other side. And so Paul now is writing this passage in 2 Corinthians to say, Guys, you've got to come back here to the proper right way to deal with this. You, you, you have, you've, you've went from way over here, all the way over here. And so Paul's calling him back again to dealing with it the right way. So beginning in chapter 2, verse 5, 2 Corinthians, that's why he says, but if anyone has caused sadness, he has not saddened me alone, but to some extent, not to exaggerate, he has saddened all of you as well. Again, talking about this man that he refers to in 1 Corinthians. And the point I want to make here is simply this. The Bible teaches us throughout the Bible, and here, we never sin in a vacuum. My sin affects everyone else around me that 's why I, I can't i can 't say well it 's just between me and no it 's not that, that when when i When I get sideways with God, when I walk away from God, it's going to affect other people. And that's what Paul was trying to get the church at Corinth to see. That, look, this individual and and all these other individuals that are involved in sin, it doesn't just affect them. It affects the church. It affects their family. It affects everyone around them. And you and I know that as well. Because it's sometimes in our life, maybe, because of the choices that we made, It not only inflicted pain on our life for a time, but we inflicted pain on other people as well. And we all know that to be true on the other end. That sometimes the terrible choices that our family and friends made in their life, the disobedience, the rebellion against God, the selfishness, whatever you want to call it, inflicted a lot of pain on us as well. Because we don't sin in a vacuum. And that's what Paul's saying by... What he did saddened all of us. And Paul is saying in verse 5 that when that happens, an extra heavy load is placed upon those who sort of have to be there to pick up the pieces. And that's exactly what sin will always do. So, verse 6. Paul says to them, this punishment on such an individual by the majority is enough for him. In other words, okay, so you finally came to the point where you dealt with it. and, And some consequence... You meet it out, which was right. Nothing wrong with that. That's what the Bible tells us to do. There's got to be consequences to sin. If there are no consequences to sin, then we will go on sinning because there's no pain. In fact, the Bible says that one of the things that gets people to turn their lives around is when they begin to experience the pain and consequences of their choices. Probably the greatest biblical example of that is the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son took off from his father, took off from God, said, I want to live my life the way I want to, and basically did whatever he wanted to. And then, because of the choices he made, he began to have consequences in his life. He began to feel pain. He began to feel hunger. He began to feel isolation and loneliness. And it was all that pain and stuff that began to turn his heart back towards God and back towards his family. That's why God allows the consequences to come, not because He doesn't love us, but because He does love us. Hopefully that those consequences and the things that we learn from our bad choices then will prevent us from continuing to make the same bad choices throughout our life. Because God only wants what's best for us. And so they meted out this consequence. But then notice how they took it too far. Verse 7. Now, this is why Paul's writing this. He says, so now, so that now instead, you should rather forgive and comfort him. And again, you don't get all of this information just from 2 Corinthians, but the man had repented. The man had stood up, had acknowledged what he had done was wrong, and said, I was wrong. I've not only wronged the people that I've done this with, but I've wronged the entire church at Corinth. Would you please forgive me and accept me back into fellowship? And Paul's saying to them, Guys, well, don't keep, don't keep bearing him with the consequence. You, you need to forgive him and restore him back to fellowship. If this is what he's done, then this is the proper way to respond. And so Paul is saying, So now instead you should rather forgive and comfort him, strengthen him. This will keep him from being overwhelmed by excessive grief to the point of despair. And that word in the original language means down for the count. In other words, Paul's saying it was one thing not to deal with it at all. That was wrong. Now that you've dealt with it, that was good. But now that you should be dealing with it a little bit differently, you're not doing that either. And again, it's that whole idea of the wisdom that we need in order to deal with relationships and the struggles in relationships and the problems we're having. And God's Word shares it all with us. And and one of the things that gives us second wind in our lives is when we're dealing with the things we need to deal with, even if they're hard things, but we're doing it the right way. We're doing it the way God wants us to do it. There is something energizing about that, even when it's difficult. And, and in a sense, what we're seeing is that modeled for us by the Apostle Paul with his interaction with the Corinthians. So notice in verse 8 what Paul tells them to do. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. And that word reaffirm means to confirm publicly. It means now, church, now that he's repented and acknowledged his sin, now you as a church need to, you need to just, love on him, welcome him back into the fellowship, no more consequences, you need to use that as an example. Just like you dealt with the sin, which that was an example too, now you need to deal with it this way. And then Paul says, for this reason, verse 9, also I wrote to you to test you to see if you're obedient in everything. In other words, they were given an opportunity, I believe, by God through Paul, would they step up and do what is right. Wow. You know, when I thought about that statement, I thought, that happens to us every day. Every day throughout the day, you and I are given opportunities to step up and do what's right. Every day. Because very easily, we're all placed in situations throughout a day where we could do the wrong thing or where we could step up and do the right thing. I mean, even last night, that, that happened to me, and I was so thankful that somebody was honest. We went out to, to dinner for my daughter's birthday last night as a family. And I had never done this before, but for whatever reason, I just took a leave of senses, and I left my credit card there at the restaurant. And about halfway home, I realized, oh my goodness, where's my credit card, and what did I do with it? And then, well, maybe it's back at the restaurant. And it was. And our waitress just took that, put it in the manager's hands and says, When they contact you, here it is. I'm like, wow. Thanks for doing what's right. You know? And and we all have those opportunities throughout the day. And that's what Paul's saying here. When we're presented with opportunities to do what's right, God wants us to step up and do what's right. And when we do that, folks, we will have a renewed opportunity rush of energy from God, because God's blessing, God's favor, God's pleasure will be upon us, and even God knows if it's the hard thing to do, it's the right thing to do, he's going to be there to encourage us in it. So that's why Paul goes in verse 10, if you forgive anyone for anything, I also forgive him. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did so for you in the presence of of Christ and now notice another reason why Paul says it needs to be done right verse 11 so that we as Christians and as the body of Christ and as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ may not be exploited by Satan the word exploited there in the English simply means to give Satan an advantage to to give him more ground if you will to give him a foothold into the church or into our lives And Paul says, when you and I step up as Christians and handle things biblically and do what's right, even if it's hard, then we take our stand against Satan because Satan, our spiritual adversary, is going to be right there to sort of pounce on the situation and take advantage of the situation when we don't do what's right. And Paul goes on to say, folks, as Christians, we are not ignorant of his schemes. Paul's simply saying that through the Bible, what God has told us about Satan and how he operates and how he tempts us and all of that, that in a sense, we can know the mind of how Satan works. In fact, that's why all we need to know how Satan operates in our lives and in anybody's life is simply to know the Bible. Because God has given us everything in the Bible to know what we need to know about Satan and how he operates. And so Paul is simply saying, when we step up and do what's right, we take our stand against the, uh, the devil. We do not give him any ground into our lives or into the church. Because we all know this to be true too. If we begin to open up the door and give Satan a little bit of room into our lives, guess what? He's going to continue to try to push and push and get even more space. And pretty soon, if, if we don't watch it, it was never intended that maybe we just thought, oh, it's just something little, right? Right? And that little thing can begin to to creep into our lives. And then pretty soon, we've given Satan way more ground than we ever intended to do. And so that's why Paul is encouraging us here to step up and do what's right. Now, verse 12. Now notice also here how Paul now says, and, he, and we're going to end with this tonight, because this, to me, is really encouraging. Yeah. We're encouraged to step up and do what's right. But guess what? We're human. And even the great apostle Paul that sometimes we put these people in the Bible on pedestals. They didn't always do what was right. And Paul's going to encourage us in something in his life that if he had to go back and do it over again, he probably would have. And at least he's reflecting on a time in his life where he's saying, look guys, I didn't do this very well. But I want to encourage you by it, because God was able to use it anyway. So think about that. Notice what Paul's example is. Verse 12 of chapter 2. Now, when I arrived in Troas to proclaim the gospel of Christ, even though the Lord had opened a door of opportunity for me, so it's very clear from Paul that this opportunity in Troas to preach the gospel and teach the Bible and all of that was from God. It was a God-given opportunity. And we're always taught and we're always encouraged when God gives us opportunities. Let's step up and do what's right and let's seize those opportunities, right? But notice what Paul goes on to say. I had no relief in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and set out for Macedonia. A couple things. First of all, the reason why Paul is saying, I had no rest in my spirit, is he was allowing what was happening between him and the Corinthians to get to him. You see, Titus was the messenger that Paul sent to find out what the Corinthians' response was going to be to Paul's letter. And Paul was just, in a sense, he, he, he just, he couldn't rest until he got some kind of word back about what was going to happen. That's how much he cared about the Corinthians. And, and I think it's like even us. Even if it would have been like bad news, like, oh, Paul, they could care less about you and here's what they're going to do. At least it was an answer. Sometimes the hardest thing for us as human beings is simply not knowing. And that's where Paul was. And so here he is. He's got this great door of opportunity open for him by God in Troas, but he can't stay there. He can't follow through with what God has opened up for him because humanly he's allowing this situation with the corinthians to sort of overshadow this door of opportunity in fact in the bible when it says when he says i said goodbye to them in the original language it's an awkward departure an awkward goodbye we've all had a few of those in our life whether they were the breakup of a relationship or whatever it's sort of like How do you say goodbye whenever it's not really easy to say goodbye? And I'm sure Paul felt uneasy about it because he knew the Lord had opened up this door. But humanly, he allowed this situation in his life to pull him away from that open door. In fact, we learn from the book of Acts that Paul was only in Troas for one week. That was it, seven days. Yet I want to say this, and we're going to see this in just a moment. In that seven days, even though it wasn't probably near as long as God was hoping it would be and and it should have been, God still used Paul those seven days he was there. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, one of the cool stories in the book of Acts is when Paul was preaching in Troas, and Paul must have been one of those long-winded preachers. I don't know anybody like that. But anyway, you know, these guys that just get up and just, yak, yeah, talk, 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 talk. And the story is told that while he's in Troas, he's up there in this loft, and, and the loft is just packed, and there's this teenage boy who's just, you know, I don't think it was that he, was, he didn't care about what Paul was saying or whatever. I think he was just tired. And the Bible says he literally fell backwards out of the window and broke his neck and died. And the Bible says Paul felt so bad about it that Paul went down and rose him from the dead. This is just one of the things that happened that seven-day period when he was in Troas. But then he said goodbye, an awkward departure. And notice, the Bible says he set out for Macedonia. Now, keep your finger there, because we're going to come right back there, but go over to 2 Corinthians now, to chapter 7 for a moment, and see these verses. Because this really gives you insight into the angst, if you will, of the Apostle Paul at this time. He says in chapter 7, verse 5, For even when we came into Macedonia, our body had no rest at all. We were troubled in every way. Struggles from the outside. Fears from within. I was encouraged by that. You know, I guess we like other people's misery, you know, but what encouraged me is here's the great apostle Paul who allowed his humanness to get the best of him and then tells us that in a sense, he, he ran away from Troas and ran to Macedonia and it wasn't any better there either because he couldn't run away from what was going on inside of him like us. Sometimes we think a change of venue, a change of place is going to do it. And many times that can help, but many times we just carry the stuff that's going on inside of us somewhere else and it's just changing the address, but nothing really changes. That's exactly what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 7, 5. But notice what he goes on to say. Verse 6, but God who encourages the downhearted. Wow. What a God. Don't miss this. This is the same God that opened up this great door of opportunity for the Apostle Paul to minister. And Paul can't cut it for more than a week. And Paul has to run to Macedonia because he's allowing something to get the better of him instead of handling it maybe The right way. And yet God doesn't come to Paul and go, Well, Paul, because you blew it and you couldn't suck it up and you couldn't stick it out in Troas, I'm not encouraging you. No, that's not our God. Our God comes along and says, Well, Paul, I wish you would have stayed a little bit longer in Troas. I wish I could get you to the point where that wouldn't have eaten you up so much and where you could have just trusted me at that point to work it all out. But Paul, just like the rest of my servants, you're human. And you need encouragement now more than you need a slap or a kick. So I'm coming to encourage you. Because you know what? You already feel bad enough about not sticking it out in Troas. You're already beating yourself up enough about failing in that opportunity. So I'm not going to do that, Paul. Paul. I'm coming to lift you up and encourage you. Because you are my child. I love you. And and I want to encourage you because i got a lot for you still to do. And I don't want you to get so overwhelmed with beating yourself up and, and not accepting my forgiveness and not forgiving yourself or whatever you want to call it, to where you allow yourself to be discouraged, to where you can't encourage others. So Paul, I'm coming to encourage you. And God wants to do that with you tonight. Maybe if you're here, and maybe like Paul, like all of us, we failed, and you still have a hard time accepting God's forgiveness of that failure, or forgiving yourself, or whatever, God is saying to you, I need you to be encouraged so you can encourage others, so let me encourage you. And notice how God encouraged Paul. He encouraged him by the arrival of Titus, who was able to give Paul the news that Paul was looking for. And Paul goes on in verse 7 to say, We were encouraged not only by his arrival, but also by the encouragement you gave him as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your deep concern for me. And Paul was like able, like we are sometimes in our life, to breathe a sigh of relief and go, Okay, it's going to be okay between me and the Corinthians. Just like sometimes in our human relationships, it's like we go through a rough spot, we have an argument with a family member or a friend or whatever, and got to say some hard things to each other, but we get to a point where we can move on. And that's where Paul and the Corinthians were, and he was praising God for bringing all of them through this difficult time, so that again, they all could get a second wind and continue to move forward to do what God has called all of them to do. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to wrap this up tonight. So that's why Paul says this now, beginning in verse 14. He says, Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. Let's stop right there. Paul is saying to all of us, God can take our failures like I had in Troas. He can take our feeble efforts and he can still do something with it. There have been many times in 25 years where as a pastor, I've preached messages, I've taught Bible studies, and I've walked away going, oh my golly, that was the worst anybody could have ever taught. And God usually has that sense of humor where he'll send all of a sudden like 30 people to me going, oh, Jeff, that was great. That was just what I needed. And and then I, you know, okay, God, yeah, it's not about me, it's about you. And it's not about me being this eloquent speaker and all of this. It's about me depending upon you and you taking my feeble effort and doing something with it. And we all have to be reminded of that. Listen, Christ is a winner. Christ is not a loser. And when you and I are following Christ and we are walking with Christ, we are no losers. We are winners, folks. And Paul is saying God always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. Even in Troas, even when I failed to stay, God still used me while I was there. Would have used me longer had I stayed, but he used me while I was there. And then he used my weak efforts in Macedonia and he's using me still. And I don't always measure up. I'm not always the servant of God that I should be or could be, but God still uses my efforts anyway. And God wants to encourage all of us with that. That's why there are stories throughout the Bible of a little boy giving a little lunch to Jesus and Jesus feeding thousands of people with it because it's not the amount that we give God. It's just the fact that we give God whatever we got and let Him take it from there. The triumphal procession was the highest honor that a Roman general could ever have in their lifetime. The triumphal procession in Rome was something they say is hard to describe all of the city of Rome would come to the triumphal procession of a victorious Roman general. And they would start that procession down the Via Sacra, the main street in Rome. It would run from the Forum in Rome all the way up to the Temple of Jupiter on the Capitoline Hill. And thousands upon hundreds of thousands of people would line the streets of this triumphal procession. The the, the triumphant Roman general would be seated on a white horse, riding through the streets with all of the spoils and all of the captives of war behind him. And Paul is using that very vivid imagery that the Corinthians would have seen at some time in their life, and he's saying, this is what God does with us. We are in triumphal procession with Christ. Christ. We do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. The victory has already been won through the shed blood and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, we just have to get in on it. And even when we fail, and even when we give a feeble or less than perfect effort, Our God is so great that He's able to take what effort we do give and still use it and do something with it. And God wants to encourage us with that because there are so many Christians who live their whole lives that feel like "I've I've got to get to this level before I start serving the Lord or doing something with my life. And God wants to break down that false thinking God wants all of us to, wherever we are, whether we're a baby Christian or, or whether we're a seasoned veteran Christian, that we just give God what we have at that moment and we give God who we are at that moment and we just give Him our, our efforts, whether they're good or whether they're feeble, and let God take them and use them to change this world. And notice, Paul makes an amazing statement in verse 14. Verse 14. He not only says that God always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. He says it is God's desire to make Himself known through us. The fragrance that consists of the knowledge of Him in every place we go. It's amazing. God, the God of the universe... Wants to make himself known to others through us. Wow. God, couldn't you pick picked somebody else? Isn't that something more for the angels? God would say, no, they don't understand salvation. They don't understand grace. Yeah, I know you're imperfect. I know you don't always give your best effort. I know you're going to fail me at times. I know you're going to give me a feeble effort sometimes. But I still want to use you. See, God has no other plan. There is no plan B to reach the world for Christ with God. God's one and only plan to reach this planet for Jesus Christ was when Jesus said to all of his followers throughout all time, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. That's the only plan that God has. He has no other plan. We are it, folks. We just need to step up and do what's right and live in His power and even when we fail and don't give it the best effort, know that God can override it. God can supersede it. God can get something out of it, God can do something with it. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you tonight for giving us a second wind. For helping us to look into the struggles of Paul himself and then the struggles that that the Corinthian church was having. The struggles that Paul and the Corinthians were having. And help us to realize, Lord, that that's life. That's life. And yet through it all, you want to make yourself known to others through us God certainly we've been encouraged tonight that when we have the opportunity to step up and do what's right even if it's the hard thing to do to do it there is no greater way to have a renewed energy in our lives spiritually than to do what's right and be obedient obedient obedience brings blessing obedience brings power Obedience brings spiritual energy. But, God, we've also been reminded tonight that when we fail, you are the God of the second chance. You are the God of the millionth chance. You are the God who forgives, who encourages the downhearted, who doesn't want to see us spend the rest of our life wallowing in our failure living in regret, beating ourselves up. But you want to see us rise up in your resurrection power and move forward because you have no other plan. You want to encourage us so that we can get out there encouraging others and point them to Christ and make an impact in this world for Christ. And we're never going to do that, Lord, if we're discouraged ourselves. So God, I pray once again tonight that all of us have been renewed to some level so that we can leave this place and go out there and let you shine through our lives. God, thank you for these folks. Thank you for their faithfulness, especially on a night like this that was an extra challenge to get here with the traffic and the weather and everything. God, bless them especially And give us all a great rest of this week and bring us back, Lord, together next week. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, folks, just a reminder, next week we're having a mind mingle, so we're going to encourage you, if you can, to stay after. God bless you. I love you. Thanks for being here. See you next week.